so thankful for our worship team. So thankful for the opportunity we can come and we can worship God. Um, you've been, I hopefully enjoyed last week with uh, Jason and Becky Suon and Leroy Martinez from the Gideons. We've been in a series talking about, uh, the theme has been, let's go. And the whole idea is, uh, there's this mission out there and uh, we need to get going, right? Uh, we'll pause just for a second because, well, it's Father's Day. So we do want to wish every uh, dad out there a happy Father's Day. Um, in the spirit of giving gifts to our fathers, we got something for you in a paper bag. Okay, so, uh, you know, Mother's Day, it's a little bit more flowery, something very nice. Uh, Christmas, the kids get all this stuff. And dads, hey, brown paper bag, just grab it, throw it in the back of your truck, back seat, side of the car. You grab kids, and here's the thing, kids, dads are going to forget. Ladies, the men are going to probably forget. Like, oh, yeah, I didn't get one. Please help them. Grab one for them, maybe two, because there's an extras out there. There's probably going to be a few extras out there. But anyway, um, we, we just want to bless you and uh, say happy Father's Day. It's, it's the day when you get half the stuff that the moms get. So, and men, we're good with that. You know, let's, let's, Mother's Day, let's, let's, let's bless them. And men, when it comes to our day, we're like, yeah, whatever. Uh, thanks for remembering me, sort of. Um, so I was thinking about this. Here's what you can do. Kids, if you've not got anything for your dads yet, okay, here's what you can do. Just laugh at their dad jokes. Just laugh at their dad jokes. You will make their day. When Josh comes up to you and says, what do you call a fake noodle? And you're standing there scratching your head. And he goes, an impasta. Just laugh at him. That will make him feel good, right? If Andy comes up and he goes, April showers bring May flowers, but what do May flowers bring? And you all say, Pilgrims, because you've heard that Father's Day joke or Dad's joke, just laugh. That makes you happy, right? Just laugh at the dad jokes. I know my wife is sitting back there, and she said, don't tell the one about how to make a tissue dance. You guys know how to make a tissue dance, right? Put a little boogie in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how can you not share that one? Okay. All right. So just make your dads happy. Laugh at their dad jokes. Here's the second thing you do. When they start talking about how life is so hard and they start sharing their stories, their stories get better every year. They do. Just, just listen to their stories and nod your head and say, wow, Dad, that really was rough. You had to walk to school both ways, uphill, in the snow, barefoot, or some of you went a step further. I'm not going there, okay? But yeah, just, just listen to him say, man, Dad, you, you really had it hard. You actually had to put your finger in the dial on the, the phone and, and do that. And if you messed up, you had to do it all over. That was hard. Yeah, I get it, Dad. Just listen to their stories. You will make their day just by listening and laughing with them. That, that's all we ask, right? Well, when they say life is hard, it, it is actually, it is hard. And when I look at this, last, this uh, message today, I was sitting there thinking, as a father, it started to cross my mind. Have I shared everything I need to share with my boys? I mean, because that's the thing about fathers. We really do want to, besides tell stories and jokes, we really do want to raise our kids and raise them in the right way. And it's like, did I share with them everything that I was supposed to share with them before they left the house? Have they learned everything that I started going through my list? One, no. Because first of all, I'm not a perfect dad. Two, I don't know everything, so I can't share everything with them. Three, some things in life are better learned later in life. There's just some lessons that they're not going to get now, but when they get older, they'll get it. So I thought about that. Then I thought, have I been a good father? Then I wondered, do you think God above ever just like 
ask those same kind of questions. Have I been a good father to my people, to my children? Have I told them everything they need to know? Did they listen to what I shared with them? And I don't know if God ever thinks like that, but I sit there and, and, I, and I wonder. So in your Bibles, grab your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 5. Because in Acts chapter 5, the last part of this chapter, I, I really feel like if there's a lesson that any dad could hear and pass on to their kids, it, maybe it's this one. Because I think our Heavenly Father says, I want you kids to get this lesson. Please listen to it. Please apply it. And so from, from Acts chapter 5, it, I sort of begin the whole, the whole process of this, this thinking of, I'm a child of God. See, John chapter 1, verse 12, if you're familiar with that scripture, it tells us that those who believe Jesus and accept Jesus as, uh, as our Lord, he gives us the right to become children of God. You are a child of God if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. If you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you are his child according to scripture. That means God is your heavenly father. When the disciples went to Jesus, they said, hey, Jesus, how should we pray? What did Jesus say? He goes, pray like this. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name or holy be thy name. Now I'll pause for a second. Did anybody hear the news this week about what happened on the TV show Jeopardy? The game show Jeopardy? Um, an amazing thing happened. So um, this, I think it was maybe Tuesday night. Well, I can't remember which night it was. But all three contestants missed the, missed the question, okay? And here it is. It's like $200, $400, $600, dollars So the $200 is the easiest question, right? The $200 pops up on the screen. And is this is the question. Matthew 6, 9 says, Our Father which art in heaven, this be thy name. What is this? You all got it. You would have got 200 points or $200. Not one of the three contestants could answer that question. Social media just blew up. They're like, what? Nobody knows. Uh, somebody on Twitter popped on and goes, I'm an atheist, and I know it's Halloween. I mean, how can, how can people not know this? Because it's one of the most famous Christian prayers, right? It's scripture, right? But not everybody knows this, and that's what scares me, is that when we forget who God is, or that his name is to be kept holy, we lose. We lose. And we begin in Acts chapter 5 with the tragedy of Ananias and Sapphira. And with those two, they forgot the holiness of God. And it cost them their life. So we move on then into, further into Acts chapter 5. And we understand that this is serious. We need to know who God is and how holy he is. And that should affect then how we live. So follow with me in verse 12 of Acts chapter 5. It says this, the apostles were performing many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. But no one else dared join them, even though all the people had high regard for them. Yet, more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. Crowds of both men and women. So Ananias and Sapphira, it says, what happened to them when they passed away, great fear seized the church. So like the church, their eyes were open up like, we need to get serious about this. God is for real. The church is just getting started. Let's be obedient. And they got all excited. They started performing these many miraculous signs and wonders. And then more and more people are believing. It's an amazing thing, right? Check out verse 15. It goes on to say this. As a result of the apostles' work, 
sick people were brought into the streets on beds and mats so that Peter's shadow might fall across some of them as he went by. Crowds came from the villages around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those possessed by evil spirits, and they were all healed. Now, we're not told what exact signs and wonders were performed here, but we sort of presume that whatever took place in the book of Acts and what took place in the Gospels is the same thing that's taking place here. People are being healed. Demons are being tossed. Blessings of God are falling down on these people. And here's the thing. God has chosen to do these miraculous things through the apostles. It's not by the work of the apostles. It's God's working through these apostles. So great things are happening once again. The fear that had seized the church and scared the church sort of, sort of uh, catapulted them into stronger faith. So the church is once again meeting regularly and more and more people are believing in the Lord and the work of the apostles, not Peter. But did you see what happened in Scripture here? The people are so convinced of the power of these apostles. They're like, if we can just get our sick people into the shadow of Peter, they will get healed. Scripture doesn't say that these people were healed. We don't know if they were or were not healed by his shadow. But they be- this is what they believed. And we might sit there and say, that seems so strange, right? But you remember in the book of Luke, when a woman who had this bleeding disorder through her whole life, she's just like, if I could just touch the garment of Jesus, I'll be healed. And she touched the garment of Jesus and she was healed. So does that mean Jesus was wearing a magical robe? It was just her faith was in, just enhanced, like, I believe that Jesus can do this. These people are believing the same thing, like, uh, just Peter's shadow, maybe that will heal me. Which isn't unusual. One theologian uh, said this, the idea that shadows had magical powers, both helpful and evil, explains the motivation of the people. But again, it doesn't say what that shadow did. It just says, people believe this. The amazing thing here I want you to get out of this scripture is that people see God's at work and they just want to come to him. They want to be touched. They want to be changed. Regardless of how God chose to bring healing, there's no doubt remarkable healing was taking place here. It was present. But here's what happens. Anytime anything good happens, what happens? Adversity follows right behind, right? Just when you're about ready to celebrate something incredible, there's always something that comes along that just sort of like throws the water on and sort of puts out that excitement, right? Look at verse 17. The high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. That's going to be an issue right there. It's all about me. I don't care about anybody else. I'm so jealous of them, right? That's going to cause a problem. Verse 18. They arrested the apostles, put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. And he told them, go to the temple, give the people this message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple, as they were told, immediately began teaching. Love this. God sends an angel to rescue them. He did not have to. He could have very easily said, doors open, chains fall off, walk on out. They could have done that. He could have pulled a little star track on them and beamed them out of there and beamed them into the temple. Could have done that. But God says, I'm going to send an angel, which I think is ironic because the Sadducees don't believe in angels. Oh, so I'll send an angel. And he sends an angel to free them. Their rescue from prison, though, listen, had a mission. There was purpose behind this. The purpose was so they could continue the work that they had started in the temple. 
God didn't set them free just for their safety or their comfort, because that's what we all want. Oh, I wish I didn't have to deal with this so I'd feel better. I wish I was free so I was more comfortable. I wish I didn't have to go through this, right? So I could be, God's like, no, no, I'm gonna free you so you can continue to do what you started. I got a job for you. Sometimes this, uh, this may lead us to wonder then, does God always rescue his people? And I think you already know the answer to that one. Sometimes God does. Sometimes God does not rescue his people. And there's a day, and I think we all understand this, if God rescued everybody, this earth would still be populated with people from back in biblical times, right? There's a day, we all have an expiration date. There's a day in which we will all die. Some of us will die sooner than others, some of us later than others. We don't know when, but we do know there will be that day. And I think about that, it's like, then, then why did God rescue these men now and not later? God rescued all the apostles. It said the apostles were put in jail. It didn't say Peter was put in jail. It says the apostles. So it is believed that all of the apostles were in prison. But here's the thing about the apostles. They were rescued then because there was a purpose. But listen to how these apostles died. None of them died from natural death. None of them died from like a heart attack or they were sitting in a nursing home and they just passed away quietly and peacefully. It didn't happen that way. Matthew was beheaded with a sword. Mark died in Alexandria after being dragged through the streets of the city. Luke was hanged in an olive tree in Greece. Peter, crucified upside down in Rome. James was beheaded in Jerusalem. Philip was hung. Bartholomew was whipped and beaten until death. Andrew, crucified while he was being crucified, preached at the top of his lungs at his persecutors until he died. Thomas, run through with a spear. Jude was killed with the arrows of an executioner. Matthias was stoned and then beheaded, as was Barnabas. And Paul was beheaded in Rome. How come God didn't rescue them? I don't know. But he rescued them earlier. Why? Because there was still purpose for them. He still had a mission for them. We may question when and why people die when they do. Can I just say something? That's okay. That's understandable. We all do. But I think at the same time, we should also celebrate that God rescues us from hell and eternal death. He gives us eternal life. And I was thinking more and more about this moment in history. And I'm sitting there thinking like, man, miracles are taking place. Prisoners are being set free. And it's like, I want that now. There's people in our church that struggle with cancer. There's people in our church that struggle with addiction. There's people in our church that are dealing with all kinds of things. And I want that now. I want miracles now. I want people in this church to be healed. I believe in divine healing. I really do. I believe that God can set you free from any addiction that you are struggling with. I believe that. And then, you know, here's the thing. I want that. But here's the thing. Sometimes God heals. And sometimes God frees us. And sometimes he doesn't. That doesn't mean that he cannot be trusted or that he is weak. No, he is able. He's God. Who are we to tell him how to run his life and how to run our life? We live in a world that is full of death and disease. That's the way the world we are, we are living in right now. And here's the thing. If we overcome any of those things, it's because by the grace of God, he provided it. I've, again, if you've been healed from something that should have taken your life, God's still got something for you. If you've been set free from some addiction in your life or you've been freed from some sin that you've struggled with in your life, you've been freed for some reason. You have purpose that God is saying, I've got something that I want you to do. There is always a purpose in his healing and his freeing us. Truly believe that. 
And the apostles, they were freed to keep sharing. You've been freed. Why? To go back to your upper room and hang out again? No. You've been freed to go back to the temple and keep preaching. They're back at the most public place they could ever be. They didn't go back to the upper room and like, hey, let's come up with a new plan. Hey, should we go to a different city? Oh, hey, you know what? Let's go at a certain hour when there's nobody around there. So we're still sort of going to the temple, but, you know, we don't have to worry about other people. No. Back to the temple, most public place, as soon as it opened up. Let's go. Right? The apostles lived with boldness. You know why? Because they witnessed the power of God. Many of us have witnessed the power of God. We've seen miracles. We've seen amazing things in our life. And we get fired up, and then we sort of drizzle down. And it's like, these disciples, these apostles, they were like, no. We've seen the power of God. Let's go. Look at verse 21. When the high priest and his officials arrived, they convened the high council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought from jail for trial. Oh, if they only knew what was going to happen. When the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported, the jail securely locked. The guards are standing outside, but when we opened the gates, no one was there. Verse 24, when the captain of the temple guard and the leading priest heard this, they were perplexed, wondering, where would this all end? Then someone arrived with startling news. The men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people. The captain went with his temple guards and arrested the apostles, but without violence, for they're afraid the people would stone them. Oh, here we go again. The apostles are once again arrested, back into the custody. They did not put up a fight. They're like, we don't need to put up a fight. You know why? Because we know what God can do. Go ahead, put us in jail. We've been there before. And we ended up in the temple. Do whatever you want to do. So they're like, cool with whatever happens, right? They're like, God's got this. Meanwhile, the religious leaders, they're fearing the people. Not God. Listen, church, as a child of God, if you fear people more than you fear God, you're in the place of the religious leaders. Get out of there. Make sure you are fearing the right person. We fear God. Because it's not like this, I'm scared of him, but I'm in awe of him. Not people. If we, if we fear people, you know what you do? You bow to every person. You will bow to every person because you fear them and what they think of you. That's no way to live. That's not a righteous way to live. Look at verse 27. They brought the apostles before the high council where the high priest confronted them. We gave you strict orders to never again to teach in this man's name. They couldn't even say the name of Jesus. Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him. Again, they couldn't say Jesus. And you want to make us responsible for his death. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human authority. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead after you killed him by hanging him on a cross. Then God put him in the place of honor at the right hand as prince and savior. He did this so the people of Israel would repent of their sins and be forgiven. We are witnesses of these things. So is the Holy Spirit who's been given by God to those who obey him. And when they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill them. Peter and the apostles, they just clearly briefly outlined the gospel. This is who Jesus was. This is what Jesus did for us. He is alive. This is how you should respond to him. You should be repentant, right? You should be on your knees right now, confessing your sins. And what, instead, what do we get? These religious leaders are nothing but angry. 
Oh, there's some man. What are they going to do? They want to kill him. Look at verse 34. One member, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, was an expert in religious law, respected by all the people. He stood up in the order that the men be sent outside the council chamber for a while. So they send out all the apostles. Now it's just religious leaders in there. And this gentleman here, Gamil, he is basically uh, the grandson of the esteemed Hillel, who is the founder of Israel's uh, most uh, strongest school of religion. This is the gentleman that Saul, who we know later as Paul, studied under. Matter of fact, Saul might have been there. We don't know. But it just leads us to wonder, how did we get what was said by him in these chambers if all the apostles are outside, if Luke's outside? How did they get what was said here? Was Paul maybe? I don't know. We don't know. But here's the thing. This gentleman that is like one of the most highest esteemed religious leaders sort of sits back and says, you know, guys, we've seen this before, right? Let's leave these men alone because this is probably going to fade out. Look at verse 38 and 39. He said his advice was to leave the men alone, let them go. If they're planning and doing these things on their own, it'll soon be overthrown. But it's, if it's from God, you'll not be able to overthrow them. You'll find yourselves fighting against God. So the others accepted this advice. They called in the apostles, had them flogged, and they ordered them to never again speak the name of Jesus, let them go. You know, it's like these leaders are sitting there going, you know what, I got a great idea. Just let them go. He's sort of riding the fence right now, right? He's not like siding with one side or the other side. He's like, just let him go. I mean, if it fades out, it fades out. We've seen this happen before. Um, sounds good. Yeah, we're all good. Okay, all right. Then let's bring him back in. And then they flogged him. If you forgot what a flogging is, you go back to Easter. Prior to that, when Jesus was flogged, basically, you strip him down, put him on a post, get out a whip, cat of nine tails. It's got all those shredded uh, with broken pottery glass, different things on the end of that whip. And they take it across the back and just basically strip. The word beaten here, by the way, means to be skinned. These apostles were almost beaten to death. Did you see what it says, though? They called in the apostles, had them flogged, Order them, never speak in the name of Jesus again, and let them go. But check out what happens, verse 41. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple, from house to house, they continued to teach and preach the message, Jesus is the Messiah. They just got the snot beat out of them. They're bleeding all over the place. And like, hey, good job, man. High five. Oh, that's your finger. Let's go get that. Okay. And they're like just bleeding all out. And they're like, this is awesome. We're suffering for Jesus. It sounds weird, right? But here's the thing. At that time, it's like Jesus is your Savior. He's rescued you. Think about this. If somebody ever saved you, rescued you from something, you're in debt to them. You like you owe them everything. And it's like, if I could just be like them. In that moment when they were flogged, they all probably remembered. That's what happened to Jesus. Now it's happening to us. We're doing what Jesus wants us to do. And they considered that to be worthy of the cause. And they celebrated that. I thought about that. It's like, what if that was us today? We can... Let's say we live in a country, and there are countries like this today that would never allow this to happen right here. Did you know that? You know, Christians are still being put in prison in third world countries right now for doing this, for meeting to worship. Let's say that happened right here. Please come in, haul us off of prison. Some of us get beaten and said, never show up again at that church. Next Sunday, was this church going to be full or empty? I hope and pray it's full. I pray it's busting at the seams. Because we felt it worthy to, to be like our Savior. You know what? He died for me. I'll do anything for him. And that's how they felt. 
Unfortunately, today, the threat of social rejection is enough to keep a lot of us quiet, right? And I understand this. Life is hard. As a Christian, life is hard. You know, this is like the dad story, right? And when I was your age, this was, you know, we're going to hear that hard story. Guys, this is hard. I understand that sometimes being a Christian is not easy. I get that. Oh, I get that. And, and we all know that, you know, when it's easy, what, when it's not easy, what do you do? You keep going, right? You strive harder. I, I, I feel like right now in, in, in our society, and this isn't of everybody, but I feel like here's the bar. Okay, I can, I can get there. I can get there. This way, we've lowered the bar. We've lowered the standard. Oh, I know being Christian is a tough, so let's just lower the standard. You don't really have to live fully righteous, just partly righteous for Jesus, right? There was a day back when there was a thing called travel baseball, travel sport teams, travel club teams, you know what I'm talking about, right? There was a back in a day when it was just elite athletes that did that. What I mean by that is kids would try out and a lot of kids didn't make it. There was just a few teams. Today, anybody can play travel ball. As long as you got enough money, you can play. As long as you can find a team somewhere, you can play. Anybody can play. It doesn't matter if you're skilled or not or highly skilled or not. Anybody. You know why? Because the, the, the bar's been lowered a little bit because we don't want anybody to be left out. So let's lower it a little bit, right? Now everybody can do it. I'm sorry, as Christians, we need to raise the bar. And if you're having a hard time living up to the standards of what you believe God's called you to do, do not give up. Do not give up. When you give your life to Jesus, when you place your faith in him, you are saying this, Jesus, you're my savior, you've saved me, and you are my Lord. When you say Jesus is your Lord, you know what that means? That means you bow down to him, and what he says, you do. He's your Lord. If you don't want to listen to Jesus, then know he's not your Lord. But if he is your Lord, you listen to him. He's not an add-on in your life. He is your life. If you've ever had a house and you decide to add on a room, it's like, I'm going to add on a room. It's like, that's my addition, okay? Jesus is not an addition. Jesus wants to come into your life and say, I don't want an add-on. I want to come into every part of your life and renovate, not add-on. He purifies the old. He replaces that which is broken. And once you know him as Savior and Lord and holy, just as we've been singing this morning, like the apostles, here's the thing. We need to go share that with the world. See, fathers, just as we share these stories with our kids and we share jokes with our kids, we need to share the gospel with them too. The greatest thing you as a father could ever do is share the gospel of Jesus Christ with your kids. Kids, the greatest thing you could ever do for your fathers is listen to them when they're telling you about the Savior they love. The greatest gift we can ever share is salvation. I remember hearing a story about Carl Boyle. Driving home from work one day, he's going through this small neighborhood, sees these kids with their, their lemonade stand, but they're selling Kool-Aid, okay? So he sees a little sign, Kool-Aid, 25 cents, pulls over, rolls down his window, and says, yeah, I'll take a cup. And they say, well, strawberry or grape? Grape, right? So they get a cup of grape, Kool-Aid, they bring it over to him. He gives them a dollar, he starts drinking. They take the dollar back, and they're sort of going through the money box, like, okay, he gets change, right? And they're trying to figure it out. They got the right change. They come back to him and they stand next to the car and give him his change. And he said, um, excuse me, sir, are you almost done with your, your Kool-Aid? He goes, oh, yeah, I'm almost done. Why? He goes, well, we only have one cup and we need that one to stay in business. Like, yeah, makes you think twice about getting Kool-Aid from kids, right? But anyway, but sometimes we make that same mistake with the church. We come to church thinking that there's only one person that can be evangelistic. Wrong. 
you know, it's difficult to operate a Kool-Aid business if you only have one cup. And it's difficult to see the church flourish if there's only one person sharing the gospel. The evangelistic task of the church is for everyone. We're all called to share of the good news. And listen, you don't have to give a sermon. You don't have to memorize all these scriptures and then go, or go to college class and like, oh, I don't know if I'm doing it the right way. All you got to do is show everyone the love that you have for God. It can be as simple as helping somebody. I was at a grocery store, and those self-checkout lines, you know, you go through and you just do it yourself and put it right in the bag. You ever seen the ones with the really long conveyor belt? You set it, and it slides all the way down to the end, and you're, you're sliding stuff, and then you pay, then you got to run down here and start bagging before the other person starts sliding their stuff your way, and you're like, it's almost like a game, okay? So I'm in the store, and all those lines are closed except the self-checkout lines. So there's a lady in a, in a wheelchair, and she's struggling to try to get her food up and down, and you can't even reach to put her money in to pay, and so the lady in front or right behind her is like, hey, let me help you out. So she starts helping. She goes, boy, they just don't think of people who are handicapped when they make these things. And I'll help you. And she's like, I'll go out to your car with you and help you get the stuff into your car. I thought, that's, that's amazing. Well, the person right behind them, they went around then. They started help bagging too. So now a bunch of people are bagging up these clothes for this woman or the, the food for this woman. And then the person behind there pulls out their credit card and pays for it. Not, not the handicapped member. She already paid for hers. But the lady who started to help her bag, and this person back here pays for her food, slides in the car and says, I saw what you did to help. I want to bless you. First thing that came out of that woman's mouth was, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Right? Now, did anybody get on their knees and confess to a holy God and, and give their life to Jesus in that moment? No, but we just saw the love of God in a chain reaction from a couple of the people that were in line that were Christians. That's what I'm talking about. When the, what the apostles taught is what we still teach today. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried. He was resurrected to life. He appeared to all these different witnesses showing that he was alive. He ascended into the heaven. He is the only one who can forgive us of our sins. And if you don't believe this, you're not saved. Gospel. He promised us, us, if you confess with your mouth, if you believe in your heart, then you will be saved. And then he promises you his Holy Spirit who resides with you and, and gives you that encouragement and the strength that you need for today and the hope for tomorrow. And today, we have some people who are gonna get baptized here in about five minutes or less. They're, they're saved by their faith in God. They're gonna come up here in a little bit with me. I wanna give them the microphone. They're gonna introduce themselves and they're gonna say, this is why I wanna be baptized. I'm gonna tell you this. They already know this. They've shared it with me. They may or may not share with you, but I'm gonna say this to you. They've been saved by the faith of God, by their faith in God. They were not saved by good works. They were not saved by, oh, we did all these good things. They're saved by faith. They have confessed their sins to a holy God, and he has forgiven them. And out of obedience to God's word, they say, I want to get baptized now. I've, I've placed my faith in Jesus Christ. Now I want everybody else to know that I'm a Christian. When they get in that baptismal pool over there, that's not going to save them. That is basically telling all of you, that they're serious about their faith and they want you to know that. That they love Jesus and they want you to know that. Baptism is that outward showing of their inward faith decision. Worship team, would you come forward, please? While we sing our final worship song this morning, those who are uh, being baptized, uh, they may need to go change and then I'm gonna ask them to come down here to the front row and stand with me. 
And when we get done singing, all of you will be seated and we'll come up here and I'm going to give them the mic. They're going to introduce themselves and they're going to share about why they're getting baptized. But here's the thing. If you're in here this morning and you're like, I've never been baptized, I need to get baptized. Let me tell you, if you've been like bound up and God's freeing you right now, please bust free of those chains. Come on up here and get baptized. We've got extra towels. You can drive home wet. Whoever's coming, whoever you came with, they will not mind you going home wet. They'd rather you be obedient and go home wet than be disobedient and go home dry. And if maybe it's not about being baptized this morning, maybe it's about this morning you're saying, you know what, I just need to confess my sins to a holy God. I've never done that. Then confess your sins to a holy God who loves you and forgives you. Maybe you have been just tied up like some sin in your life is like, I need to be free of this. Maybe as we're seeing this song, you need to ask God, God, free me of this sin. Heal me of this sickness. Help me with this. God frees, God heals. I believe God does these things so you can be free to follow him and be obedient to him. But you can't be free if you, it's all about you right now and your fears and your worries. Let those go. Let the God who loves you take care of you right now. Would you stand, please? I want to pray for you. If you need to make some kind of choice, decision right where you're at, please do that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for being an amazing God. You are an amazing Father. And, and if there's one lesson, Heavenly Father, that I feel like you want us to know, that you want this world to know, is that you want us to be obedient to you. You want us to share the good news. You've rescued us. And now you've put us in a position like the apostles to help rescue others. We're not the ones that it's all about. It's you working through us. But you can't work through us if we're not surrendering to you. So Heavenly Father, right where we're standing, maybe somebody needs to surrender right now. Very simply, where we are, God, we confess our sins to you. Hear our prayers. Forgive us, God. God, maybe we're, we're stuck right now in a certain place in our life. Free us of where it is that we're stuck. Maybe we're, we're caught up in a certain sin. Free us from that, that addictive sin. Maybe we're dealing with a health issue. We just want to be healed. Touch our bodies, Lord. We know there's purpose in why these things happen. We don't understand why, but we trust you. We know you have the power and the ability to. That's why we pray to you. And Heavenly Father, there's somebody here this morning that says, you know what, I, I need to get baptized. And Father, put it upon their heart to prompt them to come on up. Father, I thank you for this morning we can read your word. And I pray, Lord, that we heard from your spirit. We love you, Lord. We sing to you now. In thy name we pray. Amen.